Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. Rule number one. No touching of the hair or face. And that's it. Yo. Discovery Roger, go for deploy. Where did we come from? Are we alone in the universe? What is the future of the human race? I'm with me if you want to live. I did. Good, 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 that girl. Of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, too rare to die. Alrighty, listeners, how are you? So, today our show is with a man named Mike Dowd. Mike is pretty well infamous for being. The most corrupt cop in New York City slash American history. Um, really interesting guy. He was um, he was a police officer in the 75 precinct in Brooklyn uh, between 1981 to 1992. And uh, he got up to all kinds of mischief in that time. Um, he stole cash, stole drugs, sold drugs. Um, the last thing that went down was... Some sort of extortion and uh, and um, what was it? Uh, kidnapping, kidnapping charge, and um, yeah. So he he went to prison for twelve years, and uh, and we got to sit down with him and and let him tell his story. Jack, um, Jack actually interviewed him with me. What did you think, Jack, of Mike? Very very interesting character. Uh, obviously has a lot to say because he's trying to promote his image in a positive way, as not for what the documentary shows him about. By the way, the documentary is a very good uh, watch if you do want to watch it. It's called The 75, all spelt out, S-E-V-E-N-F-I-V-E. Um, but yeah, just like crazy to think about the stuff <laughs> that he actually got to do and got away with for some point. It was good though. It was good. It, it, was, a very, it was very funny. Me and Jack went to, um, went to interview Mike and it in was Vegas. like... In, Ve- in Vegas, in yeah. his hotel. It was like we were long lost friends. It was... It's funny. He's obviously done some terrible things. He's obviously a disgraced, um, disgraced police officer. He's, you know, he's, he's screwed a lot of people over his time. Um, but he couldn't have been more of an endearing kind of guy. It was... Um, it was a real strange, strange kind of scenario. We ended up going out to lunch afterwards because we, we, uh, we bought Mike lunch for, um, you know, taking some time out of his day. And um, yeah, definitely, he's a legend. <laughs> have a listen. <laughs> All right, so we have uh, we have sponsors today, guys. So they are Audible. Uh, if you want to check out Audible, Audible is an audiobook warehouse that's got two hundred fifty thousand tracks, um, two hundred fifty thousand books, I should say, and it is amazing. So if you want to try it out for a free thirty day trial and get one free audiobook, all you got to do is go to www.audibletrial dot com forward slash advf radio punch that in you'll get yourself a free trial you can pick out any book you like um it's a really good service guys you can basically take in information learn um be entertained all while you're driving mowing the lawn uh cooking dinner whatever just try and get some extra time in the day and um yeah get some information in and we are also brought to you by adventure fit travel so 
If you want to come on our Everest Base Camp trip, guys, we are running that in September till October. That's the trip that we're currently promoting most on here. Um, it's an amazing trip. Just uh, just a stunning twelve. Uh, sorry, a stunning fifteen day walk through the Everest region through through the uh, through the Kumbu region culminating with Everest Base Camp and Kalabatar. So you climb Kalabatar, which is a, a little hill really. It's not a mountain, but it's a hill next to Everest. And uh, and you can kind of see Everest. You feel like you're looking eye to eye with it. You're actually not. You're about three kilometers lower. But um, yeah, it's a great experience. And yeah, you'll have a ball. So if you want to check that out, head to www.adventurefittravel.com. We've got a couple other trips on listed on the site there. Um, but yeah, check it out. You won't regret it. And here's the show. New York is in the grips of a crime wave. It was like the heyday of crack. It was violent, man. Homicides, robberies, rapes. It was a war zone. East New York, Brooklyn, 7-5 precinct. The deadliest precinct in the country. Who did I burn to get put here? It would scare Clint Eastwood. When I first went to the precinct. I hear about this guy, Mike Dowd. Mike is just crazy. Michael Dowd is a crook who ended up wearing a cop's uniform. He was a criminal. Once in a generation, corrupt cop. I consider myself both a cop and a gangster. Forget about Beverly Hills and all that other stuff. The ghetto is one of the richest neighborhoods there is. Maybe there's some way we can make money from this. La Compañía. It's a very serious Dominican gang. $24,000 in our hands to talk. Mike was a rain. Say no problem. In his business, if you mess up, you got killed. I'm a New York City cop. I'm taking a risk of going to jail for a long period of time. And you're going to short me a dime? His word against mine. And I'm a cop. I'd break your neck if your neck needs a break. I had three machines counting money, and it's still not enough time. Everybody on the floor now! There's no becoming a cop again. You're gonna have me killed. We knew we were up against a really tough crew. A month ago, I was a regular cop, and now I'm a criminal. That's what they taught us in the police academy. Got a guy in the front, a guy in the back, got an entry team. You felt like you were God. The normal person that's doing wrong is going to have a fear of being caught. I never had a fear about getting busted. Michael Dowd did not have any fear. Because the cops around me would never give me up. Alrighty, guys. So, welcome to Adventure Street Radio. Uh, this is a different uh, show uh, to normal, Tommy's not with us today. I've got my little brother Jack. Hey. And we're sitting here with the Mike Dowd. So Mike is a Good former morning. police Good officer. Morning. Good morning. Good morning, yeah. Mike's a former police officer from the 75 precinct. Um, served uh, served some time in prison. We're gonna go through his story, where he's at now, and uh, he's gonna he's gonna tell us all about it. So Mike, welcome to the show, firstly. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you guys taking a trip out to Las Vegas yeah. to, to actually sit down and interview me. Yeah, yeah it's great. It's, it's exciting. So why don't you tell us, uh, firstly, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Mike, and your, your background, what was your upbringing like? Okay, so uh, I'm one of uh, seven siblings in an Irish-American Catholic family, and my dad was a firefighter, and um, I have uh, several brothers that were firefighters and police officers, and... Um, 
somewhere along the way in the 80s, I became a police officer, trying to get married. So I needed a job. And that was the first job. You know, when you come from that line of, uh, I didn't have a doctor in my family. So I had a firefighter in my family. So civil service was the life that we always knew. I had some comfortability around it. So I took all the exams for the city. And the first one to call me was the police department. And uh, I ended up being a police officer, which turned out to be, I was very excited to be one. I didn't initially want to be. But uh, as I entered the police force, I became very excited to be a police officer. So, so you were a um, police officer, obviously through one of the most tumultuous times in uh, in New York City history. So, huh. well, sure. you, you would say. Um, so, what was it like? When did you actually start on the beat? When did, was it the eighties or was it a little okay, earlier? So, so, I graduated the police academy in nineteen eighty two in summer. So, might have been June or something. And um, so, I'm walking down the street after graduation. Funny story. And, and uh, I'm with my dad, who's a retired firefighter. And I think my mom was with me as well. And they're proud. They got this young 21-year-old buck who's now a New York City cop. You know, I'm in uniform. I'm, I walked out of the uh, Madison Square Garden. I'm walking down 34th Street, heading towards 5th Avenue. And so, a woman says, officer, officer, officer. And I'm looking around. And, and, and I'm looking around. This, this woman's looking for an officer. And... And my father goes, Mike, I think she's talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Here I am in full uniform, full dress blues from graduating from the police yeah. academy. I got my gun on my hip for the first time, and someone calling for an officer. You're looking around for a cop. <laughs> I'm looking for the cop. Who's the cop? Uh, <laughs> yeah. My dad says, it's you. <laughs> so that was my first real live experience of yeah. being a New York City cop and not knowing what the hell I was doing yeah. after graduating the academy. So, yeah. So, so that was the 80s, and then I ended up in some training uh, programs, street training, and then I ended up in East New York, Brooklyn. Okay. So, East New York, Brooklyn, um, that was a couple of years into being a police officer? That was uh, mid-80s uh, then? Uh, or? Uh, well, well, I would say I landed in the, uh, in the 75th precinct in 1983 in June. I think it was June 13th. So, yep. after the academy, a year and a half of training combined between the academy and what they call NSU, Neighborhood Stabilization Unit, which was a training program which we graduated 3,600 police officers graduated that day that I graduated. So they had a massive job of trying to train 3,600 street cops now. Yeah. I mean, you're a trained cadet. Now you're in the street. So, you know, some guys fall through the cracks along the way. and uh, <clears throat> But you learn the job ground up, from the street up now. Yep. You know, it's different than the book, like mm -hmm. anything else. So, For sure. So I end up in East New York, Brooklyn, and uh, I remember driving down... Saturday Avenue, I tell the story to others, and you may have heard it before, and I'll just say it for your audience. It's about 6.30 in the morning. I'm driving down Saturday Avenue, heading towards Essex Street, which, which is where the precinct is located, and you can't make this up. Elvis in the ghetto is on. <laughs> <laughs> and a young man cries <laughs> in, the, in ghetto. the ghetto. <laughs> and I'm driving. This is, you can't, you can't, this is fucking incredible. Yeah. It just, it's just and like couldn't have written the, it yeah the hair on the back of my neck is standing up uh, I, I, I'm, I'm like a tears running down the sides of my eyes I don't know if I'm crying for the kid who just got shot or, or for me you know, that I'm going into this fucking you know War bastardized zone. neighborhood that I know nothing about mm -hmm. but I know it's you don't want to be there if you don't have to you know yep. and there they are playing dice at 6.30 in the morning <laughs> I know they just didn't start the game <laughs> so they're out in the corner throwing dice up against a wall on, which would become to be known as Eugene's Bodega which would be a very friendly place to me in, in, in the years to come 
And I'm like, I should have stayed in college. <laughs> My mother was right. I should have been a fiery. I, I should have stayed in college. <laughs> Sorry, Ma. What do I do now? You know. So, P.S. That was my introduction to East New York, and um, it just got worse. Yeah. <laughs> it got worse, and the time was the '80s, and crack hadn't even been ex- um, discovered yet. So when did when did that when was the crack explosion? They say. So like like so how do we come across this 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 idea of crack? So I'm a patrolman in East New York, and it's 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 look it's the ghetto. You can't you can't mince words when it comes to it. It was just poverty stricken. It was drug laden, but it wasn't as violent as it will become. Mm-hmm. Because now we're talking about 65, 70 murders a year. Eh, not so bad for okay. a ghetto precinct. And just just put it out there. Yep. And then. 84, 85, we start finding this stuff in plastic vials, like little containers, and we didn't know what the fuck it was. No mm-hmm. one told us anything. They didn't mm-hmm. even know what it was themselves. We weren't ready the, for it. The people, you know, yeah. in charge of the world. <clears throat> and um, we're just throwing it out. <laughs> what the fuck is it? Because we didn't know what it was, like soap. Yeah. And um, we've come to find out that one of my partners brought it home one day, and he came back with $400. He said, this stuff is fucking drugs, and it's worth a lot of money. Well, so welcome to the world of money now, right? Mm. Never mind the world of fuck. Welcome to the world of money. And uh, so stuff we were throwing out for the last three, four months, because we didn't know what it was, turned out to be a very profitable industry. Mm-hmm. And uh, so sort of was like it took off from there. I mean, there was a couple of things prior to that, which I'm sure if people follow the story, they will know. But, you know, that's cutting right to the chase of the crack, yeah. the crack era. Yeah, you know? yeah. So so what did it feel like for you, though? So you're, you're, you're still probably 20 three or four year old kid or something at this stage you graduated right. you're two or three years in right and you're so when it when the the crack explosion hit and everything went b- uh, bananas in new york city what was the murder rate like then you said 60 70 per year in 82 83 yeah, or whatever it goes to like 85 90 a year in, yep. in, in the same location which is like a 30 percent increase in, yeah. in murders just in that one location which is a big which is a big 30 percent increase in, you know if it's your house it's, it's yeah. huge right yeah you know 100 yeah so you know so it was not so it was a violent location and now it's become Thirty percent more violent, and then maybe maybe more. You know, yeah, the, yeah. half the murders—they don't even—I don't know—they they turn suicide. It's a suicide because they can't figure out what happened. Yeah. I, I'm just—I'm just half kidding, but the fact is, <laughs> <laughs> the gun is next to him, so he, he killed himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, his blood, bloody footprints run away. <laughs> too much. Just put in the too hard basket. It's just, it's just too much. Yeah, just, yeah. That's hard to figure out. We'll never find the guy anyway, so make it make it a suicide. So how were you like day to day walking through the streets? Were you always? Did you always feel like you were under pressure? Did you always feel like you were you were at risk? Did you feel like when it all started to kick off or when you're dealing so, with these? So initially when it started to become more and more violent, um, you just felt like, 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 okay, so I would give you the typical day. It's July, it's 92 degrees and you can feel it. Like you're driving into the ghetto and you just feel it. it's going to be a busy day. Mm. Like you have the sense. Yeah. You just become part of the fabric of the, it's like a breath. You take a breath and you're like, that was a fresh breath. Of breath of, and there's no breath of fresh air coming or going. Right. And you just feel. It's heavy vibes. You feel heavy and you mm. go, this is going to be one of those nights. And you just, I mean, you could say that any night in, in, this, in the ghetto, especially in the summer, because people are out later. They drink later. They party later, and violence just becomes part of the fabric of that environment. Whether it's white, black, Hispanic, it just you know, it just mm. it just it doesn't really necessarily matter yeah. racially. It just matters that it's the it's 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 the community. And it's an intensity, and there's no other way to describe it. You just feel it. Yeah, like when you put your shirt on, 
that says NYPD on it, it sticks to you that day. <laughs> mm. and, it's, and it's more like, thank God I got this shirt on, because it, it gives you a little protection. Yeah, you know, rather than just a regular person walking down the street, which you just don't want to be doing. You don't want to be doing. Yeah, <laughs> you got right. it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, because we're, we're, obviously, we're obviously not, me and Jack grew up in a, in a small beach town in Australia, you know, where this is all new it's to us. Same thing. We've been staying in the. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. He's new. Uh, pretty much right together. Near, right near the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Just that's, you know how to go on that one, beach. That's the one if you dive in the, the water same. there, it was you would hit a car. <laughs> <laughs> Windshield. What the? So what about? Uh, so what's like? Because it's it's all it's all it's all new to us. You know, we want to we want to hear real stories. Like what what's an example of something that the first time that you thought, oh fuck, this is I, I wasn't ready for this. I wasn't what's a something that the first time your eyes were open and like fuck I I, I can't because we, we saw last night me and Jack we're, we're staying downtown and we the Uber driver that picked us up said fuck what are you guys doing staying down here? You should and not be here, that's it, what we said. Yeah, you should not be. We were looking out the window and we were seeing crack deals, we were seeing like it, lots of lots of because we're not used to that. You know, <laughs> it was, um, you can, <laughs> anyway, so Mike's making funny faces behind the scenes. Where's mine? <laughs> the money, not the, the money, not the um, But like, when was it for you that you just, was there any time where you felt like, I don't want to be here, this is too much for me and it was really overwhelming or? So that's a, I've never been asked that question. <laughs> I've asked 1,400 questions. There you go. Yeah. So, Welcome to Event Fit Radio. Yeah, 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 the big go. questions. The big questions. <laughs> Is there any time I felt like I didn't, didn't want to be here? Or Oh, no. Like, what was the... What, when we, did you feel... Was there any time where you felt out of depth and you felt like... The, or the first time that you saw something? Whether okay. it was like a, a okay, drug so, deal or okay, like Okay, a, so, so I'll, I'll give you a story. I, I've said it maybe once. So I'm doing a midnight shift with my partner, Sal. I'll leave his name out. Mm-hmm. And we're driving down Fulton Street. It's under the L, which is eerie. If you've ever been under an L, elevated train station yep. you know, at night, it's dingy, it's dark, there's pigeon shit everywhere. The paint's falling off the side of the... Uh, Fucking uh, pigeons. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn pigeons. It smells. <laughs> it's hot. Pigs of the sky. It's dark. <laughs> and there's a guy, uh, we see a guy with a tire iron in his hand and they sort of see us and they start walking away. And I go to my partner, I go, dude, these guys are stripping cars, whatever they're doing. You know, we're police officers. We're supposed to, like, check people. Right? Yeah. What are you doing? Tire iron, middle of the night. It's 1.30 in the morning. Yeah. Whatever. Ah, leave him alone. <laughs> okay, we leave him alone. So we go down about three or four blocks, and and and, and, and I said, you know what? I'm going to turn around. Well, he's a lazy prick. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to do anything. But I'm a young buck. He's like four or five years old. I want to check these guys out. Yeah. So I do a U-turn. I go back, and I pass this Cleveland and Fulton. And there's a guy laying in the fucking street with a fucking hole in his head and blood Fuck. pouring out the fucking side of his head. Right in front of a, uh, we call it a, a Cuchifrito place, which is a Spanish eatery that has like no hours. They just open yeah. when they want and they close when they want. Yeah. And uh, I'm like, and they're, oh, they're waving us down. Okay, so his name is Jesus. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is dead in yeah, the street. Right. So I, I look at the owner and I go, who did it? The guy with the tire, Ryan? Yes! The guy's with the tire, Ryan, that I was about to stop mm. two blocks ago, but I went past and turned Fuck. back around. Because the guy, you know, the guy was being a good Samaritan. Jesus, mm-hmm. Jesus. He was stopping them because they were messing with cars in his neighborhood with the tire, Ryan. They're like, dude, what are you doing around here? You know, yeah. this is our it, neighborhood. It, Don't be doing this. Da, da, da. Guy fucking shoots him in the head. Takes off running, drops the tire iron. So I go, did the guy have a tire iron? And sure enough, they go, yeah, it's right over there. I couldn't see. It's dark. And mm-hmm. It's late at night. And there it is. So I'm like, 
So, of course, at the moment, you just respond and react. You call for backup. You want to search the neighborhood, mm-hmm. get a crime scene established, all the things you have to do as a, you know, formally. And then I, I, I thought about it later on, like, like this was it. Fuck. This was, I, I could have been me. Yeah. Now, maybe I'm happy that Sal told me not to stop this guy. But, but, but maybe he would have reacted different if I was a cop. He would have just maybe bolted or, yeah. or threw the gun down and ran. Or still- I might have been in a shootout my first week in East New York. So. Yeah. That's when I realized the magnitude. Like, that was my first homicide that I was like directly involved yeah. with. Now, I had been involved with murders, but not as the first responding officer and yeah. stuff of that nature. And so it's a very different feeling. Like, it's for real. Yeah, it for is, sure. It is for fucking real, and, and I'm there. So I'm like, wow, you know, it's, it's happening. You know? yeah. so, so it's on. Now game on. Yeah. What do you do? Yeah, this isn't mucking around anymore. You know, do you sink or you swim here? You, 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 yeah, yeah, no, yeah. What do you do? You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta respond. So, mm-hmm. of course, you know some of your training kicks in, and then your nervous energy kicks in as a human being, as a survivalist. Mm. Like you guys must know that from you know jumping off of planes and, yeah, yeah. and rivers and shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I got www.adventuretravel.com. Planes, rivers, and shit. You know how to survive, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait a minute, but I, you know, so your survival instincts kick in, and so it was an interesting thing. And we ended up catching the people at some point, somewhere. I don't remember all the details, but but it was like so it hit home. This is for real, for sure. So so. What about like, um, what's the, so going through such heavy times day to day and just being, you got to look after each other. You got to have each other's back. What's the, the partner um, relationship with, within the police, within the police um, force, you know, like brothers? Well, I mean, better than brothers. I mean, better than brothers. Not, this is like a wife that you don't fuck, you know, that's just the way it is. You yeah, know? He's, sure. he's like your, you know, he, I, I'm more, I have more love for him than my brother. Yeah. Because my brother, I see him on holidays and birthdays, and, wow. and you know, you know, that's uh, powerful, right? And this guy I see eight and a half hours a day in my shift, and then either we commute together and drive home together, and then if we do the four to twelve, it turns into a four to four, yep. right? Because you go out and knock back a half a dozen or two or three, whatever you get, mm-hmm. and, and then you know, so by the time you get home at five in the morning, you now spent sixteen hours with this guy, and you know, so. The bond is in, inseparable. Yeah, so most, you had um, for the most part. So you had so you had a um, a relationship with your with your partners. You had you had um, Chicky originally. Chicky was your partner. See, or? everybody thinks that from the film. But, yeah. The, but the reality is, Chicky and I never actually were partners. We oh, worked a right. couple of shifts together, but we worked like 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 adjoining. We were yes. adjoining for several years. Gotcha. So like. I may have had a partner that was, let's say, Tony, and then six months later it was it was Billy. But Chicky was always the guy in the other car. Yeah. Chicky and I could never really work in the same car together because we're both like Type A personalities, yep. you know. And no yin and yang. Yeah, yeah, you need a little yin and yang, and someone that's going to allow you to take a step ahead, or you know, and yet he's always got your back. Whereas with Chicky and I, we'd probably butt heads a little. Yeah, because he's a headstrong guy, and I'm yeah, a little, little sure. bit—I'm a little bit a headstrong guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you're a big personality. Let's, let's say you're a big personality. Charisma. Chicken and I would have went around and around, and might, our relationship might not have been as good as it was. But in the end, he's probably the one that you know between him and Walter, uh, probably had my, my heart the most. Was, yeah. You know, in the end, in the overall, you know, because Chicky I always loved my yep. whole life. Of course, I meet this guy Kenny in the middle, who I had a love for, but you know, it's just. Things morph. Things yes. change. Yes. Okay. So, what's the um? When did you go from? So you've told us about 
you've entered the force. You, you want to just you want to impress. You're that young kid. You want to you yeah. want to do things by the book. You want to knock lock up as many criminals as possible. And then obviously we're going to go into the other side of your story. We've we've only got now, so we're going to probably move on to 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 what happened midway through your police time. And that was when you started to see this never give up on another cop, let a few things slide, this kind of relationship, which was the unspoken right. relationship between police. Like, how did that all come about? When did that become rel- uh, revealed to you? Okay, so there's several steps in every process, right? So uh, when I was in the academy, I was asked to cover for people in the academy. Mm-hmm. So while uncomfortable with doing so, I wanted to be one of the boys, so I started actually in the police academy protect people that maybe did something... Not necessarily called criminal conduct, just wrong, you know. Outside of the book, a little bit. Yeah, and uh, you know, so, uh, you know, and 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 really, you're being instructed all along while you're being taught the right way. Technically, even your instructors are telling you, remember, always, always have your partners back. Remember, always have your partners back. Mm-hmm. You might say, make sure you do this, 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 but always have your partners back. It's okay. So that was the culture, and that's the way it was. And in many ways, it should be that way. So long as your partner has your back, by 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 that, and we can get into it in many different ways. If, if he's a good guy, he's not going to put you in a bad situation, right? Mm-hmm. Think, think about it. Like, this is mm-hmm. one of the things I speak about when I do speaking engagements. Yep. For example, I'll sort of segue here. Like, okay, so back in the 80s, you can do anything you fucking wanted, okay? As long as your partner said it didn't happen that way, it happened the way he said it, you're good. You're golden. Yep. Mm-hmm. So today, things are different. We've got cameras everywhere and more accountability is here, which is fine. Mm-hmm. So, so the fact is, you, you, you don't want to... You, you as a as a police officer, if you if you really love your partner, which is what you should do, you should never put him in that situation mm-hmm. to have to cover for a lie. Yeah, you know. So, and, and to me, there needs to be some changes in the policing functionality and, and and the way people approach policing. Yeah, and okay, it's, that's a whole new dynamics. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that these individuals that you or love as your partner and you go to their weddings, you go to their, 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 their christenings for their son, children and, and you, know, you marry off their daughters with them. These guys uh, who, who you got their back and they got yours, you shouldn't be taking risks like I did mm. to threaten their family. Yeah. Because who's, really, who's back do you really have? Yeah, that's right. You kind of you're you're, you're forcing a, so, them to have your back. Like, uh, hey, I'm uh, doing this. And you, said, you, know? you love me. You yeah. got my and back. You're coming and, and, with and, me. And, you're coming yeah, with and me. what you're really saying is, I don't care enough about your family. Yeah. So this is what I've learned at 55. Yeah. You know, as I as I speak today, when I was 23 and 25 and 28, I didn't think of those things. Mm. So fast forward 30 years later, and I'm I'm, I'm speaking at universities and and to police office, police organizations and stuff. Those are the things I stress upon now. But the reality was back then, all I saw was to get, to get what you got to get and make sure you got my back while I'm getting it. Yep, for sure. So how much of, um, how much of that do you think is still going on in the, in the police force these days? Though? Like we'll, we'll, go, we'll touch back on it, go back on your story, but like yeah, is, sure. there, is there a lot of this? So let's not be remiss here and, 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 and under, uh, undervalue the fact that what just happened in the last 24 hours in, in, yeah. in Dallas. Yep. And then, of course, the two civilian shootings that took place prior to allegedly, allegedly spark the shootings in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So I have to say, weigh in on it briefly. Mm-hmm. First of all, it's fucking tragedy. You know, all killings are tragic, you know. 100%. It's just, you know, and I can't, I can't express enough how unfortunate that being a police officer that I was, and I still am. Through me, I'm a police officer, but I know mm-hmm. both sides of, of this game. Mm-hmm. Call it a game, whatever you want to call it. This, this, yeah, this life. This life that yep. we live. 
the first thing people want to do is when they see a police officer shoot somebody is, is look at the color of the individual, okay? Cops don't see color. They see crime, mm-hmm. okay? Now, how they respond to it may be based upon certain uh, perceived prejudices or not. And at the same time, it may be just an unfortunate incident. But what happens is people for their own benefit, turn it into a racial divide yeah. rather than a fucking mistake. Mm-hmm. How about it's a mistake? Now, people are going to say, well, because it's black, it's white. Listen, cops don't take you down and arrest you because you're black or white or Asian or Hispanic or Australian. Mm-hmm. They take you down because you committed a crime. Now, the way they go about it, maybe because inherently, and this could, this could, this could throw out a prejudicial statement. I don't mean it to be. Maybe because more inherently, the, the physical confrontation with an African-American, called black or Hispanic, can be much more uh, an aggressive confrontation. Because the propensity in their community is, is, is initially given to protect themselves from the police. Mm. Yeah. So their initial approach to the police is in a defensive manner. So the police have to overcome that with overwhelming force. I mean, here I'm getting into such deep analogies here. Can I? Can I? Do you think that there's so with the the um, and I and I don't really want to touch on stuff that I don't know too much about either. But right. but the fact with the Black Lives Matter and with this um, with um, feminist uh, feminist movements and so forth, these things that garner so much steam these days. Do you think that it's a a negative? Like it's just a, a negative revolving spiral that will just build because there's so much. If we took away all the negative connotations and all the um, Black Lives Matter and all, and we just treated each other as people, and it wasn't because it's the media and the and that builds that up in in these. Okay, so you're a pretty smart guy. You know? Well, first time I've been told <laughs> yeah. that. Thank you, Mike. Dad, you can come on the podcast anytime. Yeah, thank you, sir. Uh, I got our own here. No, so the the point is, look. I'm the first person, like I saw a couple of things happen in the police world in the last year and a half that I'm ashamed. And a guy who fucking robbed drug dealers at gunpoint. I'm ashamed to say that the reality is that certainly perception is way, is bad. We don't know, you and I or anybody else in the world until they know all the facts leading up to and beyond what happened. No one ever knows. So the presumption of innocence is never given to a cop if, if it can gain ratings on a TV yeah. news program, yeah, sure. you know, or, or, and look, I'm not here to defend police. I'm here to defend society because as a societal person, you want your police officers, they're the only thing that's keeping the finger in the dike mm-hmm. when the water's about to blow out. And yep. believe me when I tell you that, and it's, we're going to see a lot of it in the next year or so, I pray to God that everybody takes a step back and checks themselves before they quote unquote wreck themselves. Mm-hmm. Because let me tell you something. If I was a police officer today, you think what I did in the 80s was bad? It's on. What do you mean by that? It's on. Don't, don't cross me now. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not going to w- waste one iota of thought in the fact that it's either you or me. Mm-hmm. See, back then, even in the 80s, yeah, I took your money. I took your drugs. I let you go home. Mm. Today, if I think that you're a threat to me, you may be dead before the thought even finishes my brain. Because I'm not going to take that risk of not going home. Mm-hmm. And yep. I'm, and I, I'm just keeping it real. And I hope it doesn't happen, but I sense it. Yeah. Because when you start lining up cops and shooting at them, mm. <laughs> that's a different game. Yeah. 
and I'm not. So this is like the, the subject has turned into something else. Yeah, right no, now. but it's all, it's all, it's what's happening now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's, and just, it's it's current and it's and it's intense. And the, I, the, I, I, I like to be the 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 voice of reason because I know both approaches well, to you're this. Professional, you've you've been in both, you, you know. And yet at the same time, anyone. I feel the intensity right now because. Don't, re- don't ever forget, once you're a cop, you're always a cop, essentially. Mm-hmm. Even though cops say you're a piece of shit, dowd, you disparage the badge. Look, we get that. Mm-hmm. Okay, Get beyond that and grow up. And let's be human beings and have a dialogue mm-hmm. from my perspective and yours, whoever you are, whether you're a good cop, bad cop, good civilian, bad civilian. You know, Let's just have a dialogue in the mm-hmm. world. And you know, I've been keeping up abreast of this stuff because I'm getting asked to do a lot of shows now about this matter that's going on Mm -hmm. and it's very very entrenched in my thought process as we go through my life story which is really nothing to do with this entire episode that's taking place today back then in the 80s it was a wild wild west yeah but Mm. i sense that they're trying to fight to get it back to that way so the lawlessness can sort of take over which yeah uh, there's a lot of reasons for it and i don't want to get into it (laughs) yeah well i mean it's pretty incredible the police the the pressure that cops actually have you know the the split second instinct and the there's obviously a cop has always got his hand next to his revolver and that's not because it's it's the cops being aggressive that's because it's a split second and the cop can be dead it's the cop does that for his own his own protection Mm. his gun is his worst weapon against himself Mm -hmm. remember that yeah the cop's biggest fear is not you it's you getting his gun Mm. that's his number one fear yep because his gun works yeah that's right. And it's a gun. It's, a, it's, it's a, a known gun. It's a known, it's a real yeah. gun. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, look, yeah. Um, <laughs> the whole, we could do probably. Yeah, that's another whole yeah, yeah, yeah. segment of another. Yeah, that's right. Hour so, and a half podcast and so on. I apologize for going off on it. But no, no. It's current. And, and, and 100%. And people that hear us speak must know that we're, we know the currents. Events. Yeah, that's, that's right. And you, you're, a, yeah, you're, you've been there. So people want to hear from people like yourself. Anyway, so so you've gone through um, you've gone through uh, you've realised you've got this um, never give up on another cop. You've seen that there's some sly stuff going on. When did it change for you? When did you become? I'm not going to say become a criminal. I'm going to say when did you do your first rogue? Let's use rogue. When did you become a rogue? When did you? When was your first big like? When was your first crime? Well, I mean, you know, crime. What's a crime? If you're in a uniform being paid by the city, if you take ten minutes off, you've committed a crime. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and people go, oh, but that's not a crime. But yes, it is. Yeah. It is. All you right. get? That's you when, get, when you, you get start what I'm to saying? feel. Yeah. Like, like I, 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 I was banging a chick in uniform. You know, just say it. You know, that's yeah. a crime. Why? Because you've now taken time away from the city when you're being paid. So, misdemeanor. You know, she in uniform? A couple different ones. <laughs> Depends which one. A nurse's uniform. <laughs> no, this one was in the shotgun tower. The other one was in the back of the patrol car. Uh, what the other one? Is that? Shouldn't be a crime, by the way. No. Shouldn't be a crime. You get paid to get laid, right? <laughs> the good cop never goes cold, hungry, or wet. You ever hear, you ever hear that saying? Yeah, no, I've never heard that one. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's what they teach in the academy. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so let's... But in all seriousness, though, when was when did you commit your first crime and like? Okay, so so let's go. When I say crime, I mean you know. So let's go. Okay, so so as the film alludes to, mm. specifically, I pull a guy over. He's got he's got he's got a, a Corvette. It's like a seventy eight Corvette. It's nineteen eighty something and uh, eighty four or five eighty three eighty four, and uh, he's got no papers. He's got no plates. He's just driving a Corvette around the street. You know, like unregistered, uninspected, uninsured. So I allude to the story in the movie, the Puerto Rican mystery. Because mm-hmm. back then, 
any anybody who was Hispanic in in the neighborhoods were basically Puerto Rican people that came over from Puerto Rico, which say they have free immigration from Puerto Rico to the United States, and they're considered citizens, which they are. Mm-hmm. And it was just they were always a mystery because you didn't know. <laughs> What their papers meant, what their cards meant. It was just like, you know, white gringo cops. We didn't know what the fuck they were. They were just people, you know, mm-hmm. and they just didn't have anything matched. So this guy had nothing but a piece of paper that said he bought the car from, you know, Tony Hermano last week. And, and he's driving around in it. And uh, so I go, okay, dude. What do I do here? Voucher the car. Spend the whole day vouching the car, arresting a guy or giving him sick summonses. So I go, look. Rather than give you these fifteen or eighteen hundred dollars worth of summonses, why don't you just get me a lunch? And I mean a lobster lunch, you know? <laughs> because it's a huge, you know. This is a, I'm letting you off for like two grand, easy, you know. <laughs> so, so the kid goes. I mean, he's got a stack of hundreds in his in his. Mm. Back, back then, they had the fanny packs with yep. the, the, the belts. Click on. Call them bum bags in Australia. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> whatever they call them. <laughs> they held a lot of cash. So anyway. So he gets the hint, and I said, just put it underneath the, uh, the suit. I had a suitcase back there, a briefcase back there with all my paperwork, yeah. which I didn't do any paperwork. <laughs> so put it under my suitcase, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll have a nice lunch on you. He goes, okay. So I don't know what he put up. It was 100 or 150, whatever he put underneath the briefcase. We went away. We split it up, me and my partner, which wasn't Kenny at the time. It was somebody else. And uh, we had, a, you know, and I'm like looking around, waiting to see if someone's going to pull me over. What are you doing? You failed the integrity test. You're under arrest. Nothing happened. So I was like, wow, it's great. <laughs> <laughs> I just put 50 bucks from my pocket. It was like that easy. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. So, so at the time. And now I'm broke as a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I got 50. I got 52. <laughs> I went from two to $52 in like, in like one, like a minute. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Yeah. Um, I got an ATM machine everywhere I turn around. <laughs> so, so at the time, it wasn't, you didn't feel like you're doing something wrong. You felt like you were just getting a little bit extra on the side, kind of? Well, I knew it was wrong, of course, but I was just justifying it. You know, like, you know. They don't really want, I don't really need, but I can use it. So yeah. I took it. You know? so, so you kind of feel like, um, you know how, like, for example, Lance, Lance Armstrong was um, obviously, he was. The doper, uh, the doper with the bike. The, yeah. doper, the doper with the bike. But for him, it was like, you hear him interviewed. Everybody else was doing it. Yeah, it was like a level playing field. Yeah. Is that, do you think that was a bit like part of the reason was just that you felt like this is what police do? Is that- yeah, I sort of figured it out. <laughs> yeah. It took me a little longer than some, but I figured it out. And, 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 and to bolster that statement, I, I, I've shared the story once, maybe twice. I get pulled over by a couple of cops one day. <laughs> I can't believe this. In <laughs> patrol. <laughs> in the blue and white. So you're in, you're in uniform? I'm working. Yeah. I go from one sector, I drive into another sector, I pull a car over. I'm going to give the guy a ticket, maybe not. I don't know what I'm doing yet. We're going to see. I get the guy's license, registration, insurance card. I go back to the car. And, 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 whoop, whoop, lights are fucking behind me. Guys got their guns out of their side. What are you doing in our sector? Wait, 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 excuse me? Listen, you can't be pulling cars over in our sector. This is our sector. We run this. You shouldn't be in here. I'm like, okay, there's got to be a reason for this. I mean, I, I heard about this stuff. Mm. <laughs> now I'm witnessing cops my age on a job like three weeks more than me or less telling me that you can't be pulling cops over in my sector. So what they're telling me is we control this mm. and we make decisions in our sector based on what we determine to be law. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, fuck. I mean, like, 
can, can we just finish our paperwork here? Maybe we can talk about this. There's nothing to talk about. Don't be in our sector anymore when we're working. Hmm. Okay. I'm like, are these guys, I'm 23, they're 24. I'm like, maybe. I don't even know if they're as old as me. All I know is one's fading hair, which, <laughs> one's turning bald already. I'm prematurely. You know? yeah, probably got a small dick. I don't, I don't know. And I'm going to end up banging his wife one day. So it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. I'm sorry. Is that okay? Can I say that? Yeah, you, well, you've said it. You said it, so. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, basically that's what happened. But anyway, so... You can't make this shit up. So I'm like, there's got to be a reason for this. And then I put two and two together. Like, these guys are fucking controlling everything in this sector. The restaurants, the fucking cars, the summonses, the tow trucks, the fucking catering hall. Like, oh, man, they're making money on this. Mm. I know they are. I mean, mm. I'm not stupid. Yeah. So like, that's what's going on. So not long after that, I start finding money in everybody's pockets in the street. I'm like, okay, this is what the deal is. And crack was out there. Every kid had a gold chain and a kilo under their arm to make crack. And they had 20000 in their, each different pocket. They couldn't count the money they had. They had uh, so, so much crazy. money. And these kids are 14, 18, 17, 16. Brand new Jag. How old are you? 17. You got a brand new Jag. Yeah. Okay. And what does your mommy do? Um, she's on welfare. <laughs> uh, what do you do? I'm a night porter. Okay. And you got a, a $72,000 car, 18000 in cash, and a gold chain around your neck that I need to help you walk and carry, <laughs> carry the goddamn thing. You know? And a gooseneck, back then it had gooseneck equalizers that lit up. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, that was big time. Okay. What's a gooseneck equalizer? I don't know. It was a gooseneck. It's a gooseneck equalizer. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. The famous gooseneck equalizer. We'll put it in the show notes. Put a link in the show notes. If you had a gooseneck equalizer, you were big time. And they had the portals, the cell phone back then, which was like a big... Yeah, yeah, backpack. Not the block, but the one that you hung up on us, like the president's phone. I was born in 86. Jack was born in 94, so we have no idea what this is for. I know you don't. So, yeah, so that's what it was. And I'm like, okay, dude, what? Give me a phone. So fucking dope dealer hands me his phone. I call my wife. Listen, honey, what are you doing? I'm calling you. She says, how are you calling me? I says, I'm calling him from some fucking drug dealer's phone right now. So I go, by the way, erase this number when I finish hanging up. <laughs> I end up being fast friends with the guy. He starts fucking paying me fucking, you know, 1500 a week. It just, it's ridiculous. So so when did that all happen? When did you become best friends with the, like, so in the in the documentary, it becomes, um, you make a connection with La Compagnia? The Venezuelans? Okay, that's, that's, that, no, okay, so, so, so that's way well, past. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us? Why don't you tell us? What, when, did it, when did it mesh together? When did you become so, friends so, with the criminals? When did, it become, well, when so, did you so, start uh, working so together? So reality, reality was we're just shaking down people in the street. Okay, That's not like friends. That's just more like gotcha. you're a target. We got you. you go, we're going to let you go, but we're taking your money or yep. drugs, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. And that one was ongoing for about a year. And then the 7-7 Precinct went down in the other side of the city and uh, then the rumors started to talk about the rest of the precincts that were going to get hit blah, 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 and get arrested. Mate, you nervous? You nervous at this stage? Yeah, so everybody starts peeling off, you know. <laughs> guys start quitting, they start going to Florida, they go to Carolinas, they go everywhere, they go to the county, they leave the city proper because they, they, the heat's on and the city's like, okay, good, they're leaving. The problem's running away but I didn't go away because I couldn't get a job anywhere else because they all wanted me to take a lie detector test. I can't pass a lie detector test. So I stick around. <laughs> you think it's funny, huh? <laughs> so I stick around. I stick around and I just stay, stay fast. 
and now no one wants to work with me because they feel he didn't leave, but they know he's fucking dirty. Uh, so that means he's working for the man. He's working for internal affairs. I'm like, fuck you. I ain't working for internal affairs. And this went on and on and on for about six months or a year. And finally, I end up, I end up hooking up with this guy, Kenny. And Kenny and I start working together, not intentionally. And he's getting upset. I don't want to work with this guy. Don't put him with me. And finally, one day, I say, dude, it's either you and me, one of the ch- me and you or one of the chicks. You know, who do you want to work with? You want to work with a chick? Go ahead. They're all internal affairs, half of them. I said, and, and he says, well, I don't trust you. I said, well, don't trust me. I said, it's up to you. I said, but better you work with me than, you know, some fucking... Internal affairs. Twat. Anyway, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't mean to be so vulgar, but, you know, I get annoyed when I think back. But they were setting me up the whole time. They kept setting me up with different women and different internal affairs guys. They kept putting in the car with me. And, of yep. course, uh, I smelled the rat real quick. Mm-hmm. So I end up with Kenny, so the rat that I didn't smell, and... And we become fast partners, and we make a pact, and uh, it goes forward, and we start making money shortly into the gig, and uh, we come across big loads of cash and drugs and whatnot, and so we become partners, and uh, he starts living his li- life. His wife starts falling in love with me because of the- His wife started falling in love with well, you? Well, know, because, because not, you know, yes. Not but just have love, love with the money, you mean, or with the, with the, yeah, right. yeah, 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 gotcha, now, gotcha. Now, finally, my husband's, you know, treating me with, you know, money. Yeah, we've got everything we ever wanted, right. so on and so forth. They have a house, now Kenny's not so tight, you know, we'll go out to dinner once a month, she says, you know, finally. You know, uh, things of that nature. Like, I, I brought their life to a different level, yep. and, and um, all due respect to him and her, you know. Uh, I love them both, you know. And um, as it turned out... Um, we did well, and then we meet Baron Perez, and Baron Perez and his wife in the red Corvette, and, and we. And I'm like, you can't be your wife. You're too fucking ugly. And he's like, it's my wife, I swear. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. And she goes, no, uh, he's my husband. I go, okay, very good. I don't know how that happened, but whatever. So, then, so Baron Perez. So, so Baron so, Perez is the link between yes. the major drug kingpins and Kenny and I. Yes, that's right. And when you so when you were working with Baron Perez, for example, you were you were doing what? What were you doing to be? You were getting paid by those guys to do what? To chauffeur them with with drug deals, as mentioned in the documentary. Like, so what that, were we actually that, doing? That, that was not not the norm. Yeah. So what we were doing was, as police officers, we had a little bit of privy information as to who was under being targeted yeah. by the narcotics detectives. Now realize, the New York City Police Department is vast. Okay, there's forty thousand members. You know. I maybe know 3,000, yeah. and I don't know all the narcotics cops or detectives, and they don't speak to us. They just mm. do their undercover work, mm. and they make arrests, and then they, they leave the fucking zone. Yeah. You know, and you're standing there going, wow, I knew that guy was hot, but I didn't know how hot. So, yeah. so what we ended up trying to do was find out inside information to help uh, Diaz's organization not get busted if, if, if it was going to come down. So, and they, for that, they paid us $8,000 a week. Mm-hmm. Which was information may have been good, it may not have been good. It was just information that we thought we could possibly provide. Yep. So Adam uh, Baron Perez brokered that deal, but prior to that deal, we had a deal with a guy named Cello who ran La Compania mm. up on Fulton and Hale, which was a major nickel dime organization. If you hear Diaz speak about it in the video, so what's it? Just to, just to go, just to break in, what's eight thousand dollars in today's in today's money? Well, what would you I, say I, I that would get times you? Three. Yeah, so about twenty five thousand dollars a week. Right. Yep. So you're getting you're making bank at yeah. this stage, really yeah. making money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the time, my salary was three hundred and fifteen dollars a week, like clear, <laughs> clear, clear. So what's your annual salary? What does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, annual at, salary. At that time, it was probably about uh, 
28,000 ish. You're making your annual salary weekly, just providing this information. <laughs> you're thinking, you're thinking, no, no, this, is for, this is this is taking the piss. I found the loophole here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I found the, my, my quick way to be Trump. <laughs> yeah, which, as you guys know, I, I own several homes, and so I sort of. Back then, he was like a, he was he was he was a charmed guy. Everybody wanted to be just like him, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he owned buildings. He was this. He was that. And today, he may be president one day, but whatever. So that's another story for a different show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so the, the fact is that you know it was we were young, and uh, you know I was got involved in real estate. I started taking my drug money plus my own money and investing in real estate, right? And buying and flipping homes, and so so I had a great cover. Mm-hmm. When they started to investigate me and say, "What's how's he got all this money?" We hear stories. He's got money. He's got brand new cars. He's got extra women. He's got this. He's got that. Well, you know, the guy's got four homes and a condo on the ocean in Myrtle mm-hmm. Beach because mm-hmm. I like the golf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's um, and that was also so, so were you using yeah. it as like a just I'm a success I'm a, I'm a regular cop and I'm a successful real estate guy okay, um, right. uh, investor. I've done this. I've done right, this. They, and I made so you were just. So how you weren't living super lavishly though? No, you, you were just I mean, you had the, you had the money. You had tons and tons of money, but you were living above your means, but not ridiculously yeah, like, mean, a king, yeah, like a like a king. Yeah, you know, you, you wouldn't know. Yeah, I mean, well, the reality is, I was living way above a cop's means. Yeah, red Corvette, the red Corvette, <laughs> yeah, lieutenant spot. Yeah, is that but a mistake? That, do you think? No, I did it on purpose. <laughs> I was done. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was done. I was tired. You needed it out. Can you catch me, please? <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, yeah. Really? I pulled into the lieutenant's bar. I said, you need to catch me now or, 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 or I'm golden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far this is going to go, but right now, if you don't catch me, you guys suck. <laughs> I, mean, I swear to God. I mean, like, I'm like, well, just take me out of this game. I'm tired. It would have been heavy on your whole, like, day to day. Once you got so far into it, once you got in with the Diaz guys and, uh-huh. and La Compania, I mean, in the documentary, there's obviously some really heavy parts, like, you know, you talk about the Robert Venables thing, which is a you know a murdered cop, and you were there for it, and it had links to you didn't have anything to do with it yourself, but links to those guys. And like, right. was it did it just weigh heavily, heavily on you, or was there still, you know, was it still fuck? This is awesome. No, I can't believe no, how much no, money I'm no, making. No, 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 no. Yeah, there was a time where I, I would drive to work, and I tell the story sometimes. I'd be driving to work, and I'd be I'd, I'd be pulling over to the right hand side of the road so that if I crashed, it would be. You know, on my own, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go from the left-hand lane at ninety. Like most cops go to work at ninety, because they got the free badge. Yeah. And I would be doing ninety in the right-hand lane, because if I do crash, because my, I would lose my. I would go numb. I, I would, you know, I, what we call stress, whatever it really? was. Really? So not drugs, just total stress. No, no drugs. I really? mean, I was partying too, but yeah, that, yeah, it yeah. wasn't drug-related at the yeah, moment. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah, just yeah. like my half of my body would go numb. I was okay. I might be having a heart attack right now. Fuck. But let me just get on the side of the road in case I do crash, or I'd start heading towards a little exit that had a hospital at it. And then I said, "Well, I can't check in because they told me they're going to piss test me again, and that might not work out for me." So these are the things that you do, you know, every fucking day. Yeah. And I would drive into work, and I'd get there early, and always circle the block and look for cars that may be not associated with the precinct that I was working with at the time. And it was just an ongoing, uh, ongoing stressful way of living. I mean, telling these stories, you see how fucking worked up I can get. Yeah. And then you see it wearing sure. on, it's wearing on me just telling the stories. For sure. But living it was like exhausting. Oh, so I one imagine. day I pull over a fucking ambulance. And my friend's girlfriend is, is, is the tech on, on duty there. And uh, Maria, her name was. What a sweet ass. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and I know I was fucking her. Anyway, so, so she, she's such a sweetheart, too. 
She, I said, Maria, something's wrong. I can't breathe. My chest, my this, my everything's numb. And she goes, I lay down. I lay down on the fucking gurney in the back of the ambulance. She puts the heart monitor on me, and she's checking my heart, and she takes the DKG out. She goes, I hate to tell you this. She says, but you got a heart of an athlete. <laughs> so I go, okay, good. <laughs> she goes, but you must be burning a candle at both ends. She says, and... I'm sure you are. Yeah, she's, you know, whatever. She, she's no dope. Yeah. She goes, so you need to just back it up, whatever you're doing. So I go, okay, thanks. That night I'm doing fucking bumps in the car while I'm driving home. So it didn't fucking. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, it was almost like she gave me a free pass. Your heart's fine. There's something going on psychosomatically yeah. or stress-wise or whatever. And, yeah, she was right, you know? So, mm. yeah. So, so that's when, how it was. When this was all going on, was your... Did your family know? Like, was your wife aware of what was going I mean, on? I mean, my wife was aware that I wasn't doing, you know, straight eights. She knew I was involved in yeah. the game. Uh, uh, she never condoned it. She never approved of it. She begged me often, oftentimes, please stop what you're doing. Right. You know, we don't need it. You know, we got four homes already. We, yeah. Yeah, we got everything we need. Just stop. But I couldn't stop. It was the adrenaline rush. It was being involved. It was just, mm. it just becomes of your fabric. Yeah. It's like all the all the drug dealers that you see that have multiple multiple squillion dollars, but still, and they have hits on them. Like you, when you watch a, a, a Pablo Escobar documentary yeah, or something yeah, like yeah. that, like, and you, stop? you always think like, well, yeah, what, what, why don't you just get out? Right, why right. don't you get out at year three when you had a hundred million? Right, you know. Right. It's but just, it's that power thing and that it like, sucks you in. Yeah, yeah, right. It takes takes over you. You know, it's like you did one waterfall jump. Now you want to do three. Yeah. For sure. One spin on the roulette table. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as, we learned, as we learned last yeah. time. <laughs> um, all right. So so um, what about, um, where did it all start to go pear-shaped? Where did it all start pear to- Pear-shaped. Yeah, like- <laughs> Cockeyed. Well, when did you- when, when, <laughs> Cockeyed. <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> yeah. When did it start to just really uh, fuck you over? <laughs> Oh, uh, I don't know. Probably when I started. <laughs> I just didn't see it. Um, but no, the reality is that um, after Kenny retired, he ended up getting involved in drugs, which he was never involved in. Even when we were doing our thing with the Diaz organization and whatnot, Kenny was never really involved in drugs. So he ended up getting a pension that I helped him get, which he'll never admit to, but I did. <laughs> and... So he gets a pension. He's retired. He gets bored, and he wanted, he missed the lifestyle of all the extra cash that we were bringing in together. Mm-hmm. So he ends up getting involved in narcotics, selling cocaine at bowling alleys and fucking bars in Long Island where we lived. And he calls me up one day and asks me to help him get something because it was around Easter. And around Easter, if you know anything about the Colombian drug business, it dries up because they want to pay homage to the Lord. So they don't sell cocaine around Easter. Huh. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. So the price usually doubles and it's harder to get. So he makes a call to me. I get him for him a couple of pieces and they're on me now. And I say to him, Kenny, I'm being followed like a fucking, you know, a white horse at night. I can't get away from these people. He says, well, it must be you. They've been following you for years. I said, no, this is different. I've been followed for years, but this is not the same people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they didn't take them long. They couldn't tell me. So they, they, they had a judge issue a warrant for my phones and whatnot. And sure enough, you know, yeah, I'll see you in five minutes. That's enough. That's a drug deal. Yeah. 
in lingo. That's a drug deal. Yeah. All right, I'm on my way. Boom. Yep. You walk in, you walk out, you get back in the car. That's a drug deal. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you said anything that implicates it, but in America, that's a drug deal. Yep. Mm. Especially because he's got drugs and they know he does. Yeah, yeah. So... So it's Pete not has, to paste it, paste it together. Yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, it doesn't take fucking geniuses. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, why are you going to your friend's house for four minutes? You just drove 27 miles. You stopped for four minutes, and that was two minutes talking outside the car. You know. So yeah. So anyway, so they got onto my phones, and then they started to put this whole thing together, and they tailed me 24 seven, and uh, I'm making phone calls saying something's not right. I know they're around me. And I just couldn't pull myself out of it. So I decided to set up a whole new structure, like in the last minute, so that I could always have money coming in. I set it all up, and they just cut right into it and, and eventually took us down. Okay. And what, like, what was that, that structure that you set up? This is, this is in the documentary where you set up, you had somebody that was working for you that you'd just palm everything off to? Is, that, is this the structure? Yeah, essentially, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, I was, we were financing a drug operation at that point. Right. So we just gave them money and collected the money at the end of the day. Right. Uh, and this is you and this is you and Kenny, Kenny your, but Kenny's not your partner at the time. He'd, no, he'd retired. But correct. This is when you'd got into this business together. Correct. So, all right. So when you watch the documentary, obviously it revolves around you and Kenny. Like yeah, obviously a new relationship. That's, right. that's the whole fabric of the right. of the documentary. Right. So, how did that feel when, obviously, look the the, the cops infiltrated. Uh, you can tell us about that if you like. But like w- when when did you realize that it was Kenny that was that was the reason that it was all well, coming I mean, down on you. You know, I realized it uh, ongoingly, but I didn't want to accept it. Yeah. Mm. So we're out on right. bail, and I keep asking him, "Are you wearing a wire? Things don't add up. He wants to do this. We end up in this in this, in this alleged supposed to be supposed to be supposed to be a pushing burglary slash robbery, taking a woman's drugs and money. It turns into a fucking kidnapping, possible execution. I'm like, why is this happening? Like, this yeah. was not the plan. Yeah. So. He, at that point, was obviously working for the government, and he was, let's say, massaging the story and encouraging things that were not part of the plan to right. happen. And I'm like, it's like this. Okay, I'll, I'll be explicit. You and I would go out on a date. There's two girls. One's fat, one's beautiful. You tell me, Mikey, you got to go with the fat girl so I can get the hot one. Mm-hmm. I go, okay. I'm not doing the fat one. Sorry. Mm-hmm. But I tell you, okay, because I love you. You're my buddy. Mm-hmm. We go to the house. Mikey, they're going to kill her. You know that, right? I go, okay. I, I say, okay. Mm-hmm. Little kidnapper, whatever the fuck they're going to do to her. I have no intentions on doing it, but I'm with you. I'm mm-hmm. your buddy. Mm-hmm. Whatever we want to do, whatever you need to do to get there, I'll say yes to. Because mm-hmm. I was tired of arguing with them for like, which you don't hear, a 120-minute tape. You hear 14 seconds. Yeah, of, that's right. Okay? So you don't hear me going, no, there's no need for this. No, there's no need for that. But anyway, so that's one of the disparaging things in the, in the documentary mm-hmm. that may be factually accurate, but not like, uh, like, like it Hillary. Was betrayed, like Hillary. It was betrayed no the wrong intent. way. Yeah. I had no intent to lie. Mm-hmm. I had no intent to do that. Yeah. So I could prove that all day long. I had none. But that doesn't matter when you get a snippet of conversation that says, yeah, we'll throw her in the back of the car and we'll tie her up. I mean, I'm just like, let's get past this discussion and go on to the next. Mm-hmm. And then when we show up at the house, I, well, on the way to the house, like, I realize, wait a minute, he's doing me. And I just take off and head home. And that's when we find Dory in the house. She's naked. Hold on. The whole bullshit that takes place yep. at the house. 
I mean, so it's coming together. It's coming together. And then I end up going home, and I go back to his lawyer's office. I confront him in his lawyer's office. People don't know that in yeah. the film. Yeah. I confront him in his lawyer's office. So, so when it all, like, you talk about the cops being, when you're a partner, like, you're, you're more than brothers. How did that feel for you, knowing that you'd been betrayed? I mean, you, you also mentioned earlier in the, there's a quote, I think, from you earlier in the documentary. Um, I had it written down here somewhere. Just, we'll just never give up on another on another cop. That's what makes a good cop. That's 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 you'd never be a rat, right? You know, and you even mentioned it earlier, just when we, when we were speaking before. I mean, I don't want to bring up old wounds, but I mean, that's how did it? That's the question I want to know. Like, how did it feel when you had someone who was probably like a brother to you? I mean, what went I, through I your mean, mind? There's no old wounds anymore. They've all healed. You know, mm. I mean, I just try to be logical about it. I mean, at the time. You know, I felt betrayal. I was like, you know, it's like you put your head in your hands and you go, uh, what's wrong with me? You know, yeah. it's like when someone finds out that their spouse or significant other in their life is cheating on them. They're like, I was getting warning signs for weeks and months and years even. And, you know, finally, you know, now you got to, now you have it on film, you know, mm. you know, which happened to me too. But anyway, that's another story, that's another story <laughs> for a different documentary. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, that's my alone here. Anyway, <laughs> but, not, we don't, we don't uh, need to go there. It's not, it's not a six-hour interview today, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so it's the realization that you you've known this, you've felt this, and then when they then when the like you feel like an idiot. Mm. Like people are telling you too. You sure he's not? You sure he's not? Because we think he is. No, and I'm protecting him yep. against other people, just like you might protect. Someone you love against somebody else, but meanwhile they're right the yeah. whole time. You're just blinded by your You're love. Blinded for him. by your care and love and concern for for him, yeah. and the desire to have a companion to do the things with that you want to do. I.e., leave the country. I don't want to do a 25 year bid in the state. You know, I don't want to do a kind of sentence. Mm-hmm. Who does? I mean, if anybody had a chance to just be on the lamb rather than do a 25 year sentence, they take the lamb. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm going to do the lamb, and he's going with me. So this is a plan. You're gonna, you're gonna. Where are we gonna head? Uh, where are we off to? Nicaragua. Yeah. Whoa, Nicaragua you is there, right? smoking. No, <laughs> not not with Adventure Fit, but I've been there myself. San Juan del Sur. Have you been to San Juan del Sur? I've been nowhere. I'm gonna go run a shrimp boat. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> so this is. So you never even. You haven't no, even made but it there. I'm going. <laughs> Still I was plenty of time to go on the land. Yeah, I was offered a job by the owner of a, a big catering hall in Queens, in Long Island, New York, whatever. Uh, the Astoria Manor at the time. That's right. Said, so this is in the document. I do remember this now. So, so yeah. your plan no, was... No, it's not in the documentary. That's in a, in a conversation with, uh, with Joe Rogan. Yes, yes, that's right, which yeah. I've listened to. Yeah. So, yeah. so your plan was, because I was going to say, do you think it was like, now that you're older and you can look back on it and stuff and you're obviously <laughs> moved on from that, do you think, do you think it's, it was like a good thing that you got busted or... Yes. Yeah. 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 And you're thankful for it? In some ways, yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm thankful. It rescued me. Yeah, it rescued me from myself. You know, sure. you could be dead. I was spiraling. I was yeah. spiraling out of. It's like you're watching the the, you, you, the the tub's filled with water, and there's a fucking fly or something, and you're waiting for that fly to get sucked into the drain. You know, it just takes a while. As the as yeah. all the water goes around and yeah. around, I was gonna suck right in the drain. That fly. Uh, yeah, I was a fly. Good analogy. Turn. You were the turd. You were the you were the turd of the fly. Getting sucked down the drain. The fly on the turd. Boom. Yeah, okay, so, right, so, so, um, well, how much longer have we got you for? We've probably got, gone through a good part now. So let's, so now that you've, well, let's talk about, what was your time in prison like? Well, I mean, it was a lot of fun, you know. 
but how does but how does a cop get treated in prison? That, that oh, with you, royalty, like royalty. No, but I mean, you were like you were, but you weren't just a cop that locked everyone up and was a was a straight no, one. It doesn't cop. matter. You, it, was, you, doesn't, it doesn't matter. They don't want a cop in prison. They, yeah. they don't want to be around you. They don't want to associate with you. So basically, you do your time for the most part by yourself. Right. You're putting with other cops and stuff. You have time to time to well, kind of well, interact well, with other well, people. Well, they certainly wouldn't want to do that because that would indicate that then he's a cop. Right. So, so you hid the fact that you're a cop when you're in prison. You don't let anybody know. If really? That's what you mean by hid? Yes. Oh, hid, 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 hid. hid. I like yeah. to hide, hide. You're it, supposed yeah. to hide it, but everybody knew who I was because of right. my nature of my case. New York City cop, a dirtiest every newspaper for two years. Yep. So everywhere I went, it was known. In fact, uh, I had a lieutenant. I was down nine years. I was transferred to another location, and a lieutenant says to me, just be quiet about who you are, and you'll just do fine here. I said, Lieutenant, by 11.30 at Mainline, which is where they serve chow, everybody's going to know. He goes, well, not if you don't say anything. I said, don't bet on it. I took my bedroll at 9.15, walked over to my unit, said hello to the officer, signed in. He says, you're in cell 105 or something like that. I go, great. Five minutes later, the phone rings. He calls me, Dowd, I need to speak to you. What's that? I walk back to him. I'm like, what's up? I just got here. What the fuck? He goes, Lieutenant said you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> it's 10 o'clock. And he says, he's had six phone calls from inmates because they all work for the fucking man in there. Right. From, from inmates saying there's a cop on the compound from New York City. I said, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. <laughs> I'm 30 minutes off. Yeah, I'm 30 I minutes apologize. Off. Yeah. <laughs> my, so, clock's, my clock's fast. Yeah. So... What is was that like? Um, was it hard, like living as a cop? That was everybody knew you were a cop. Was it was it heavy? Was the people that it were, were everything you didn't know if you were going to get stabbed or kissed? Really? Yeah, it was that fucking intense. Fuck. Every fucking person knew who you were, and you had no idea what their intentions were. So you lived for twelve plus years wondering if this guy next to you is going to stab you, punch you, kick you, spit on you. Or probably not say anything hi, positive. Or say hi. Pro- probably not much positive. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. you can't expect positive. That's right. You, you know, you could only hope for yeah. positive, but yeah. your expectation was this is a potential threat. Yeah. So I never tried to let anybody get behind me where I couldn't see them. You know, but just yeah. basically, you know, and you're around eighteen hundred men. You know, oh, that's a long twelve years. Yeah. How are you so mentally sane still? I don't know that I am. <laughs> thanks for the compliment, I guess. <laughs> you know what it is? You, you, you become inward. You, you get hardened and you lose part of your heart. Really? You know, even though I'm a heartfelt guy, as you guys could probably tell. But uh, you lose part of your heart and like you save, the, as you save something to be able to, and this, is, this sounds horrific, to be able to kill. Right. So, because you, you have to know that you I have could to have to defend myself have to kill and I'm someone right to kill now. Someone. Right. Fuck it. How did you keep it together in there, though? Huh? How did you keep it together in there? Read books or stay sane? I probably read two books a week for, I don't know, I didn't do the weeks, 146 months, so 144 months, so times four, right? Five, whatever. Um, And um, I ran uh, the drug and alcohol program and. <laughs> and as he raises his uh, uh, Bloody Mary to the oh come on now that's a tomato juice <laughs> clamato clamato yeah so, we came with the good stuff uh, yes and um, yeah so I read a lot I worked out a lot I was a fucking beast I probably one of the physically best specimen white guys in, yep. in prison at the time where I, wherever on I was on the juice in there everyone gets no, on the juice in prison no, don't they no 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 there was times when they did but I never touched it you yep. know 
you have to be plugged in. And I didn't, what would I need it for? I was fucking 17 and a half inch arms, yeah. and 44 inch chest, and 31 inch waist. Not bad. Yeah. You know? So That's good. What it is you present yourself well? I'll be happy with that. <laughs> I can show you pictures if you don't fucking believe me. <laughs> I don't have it anymore. I don't have it anymore. Listen, I'm 55. I was, I was like, uh, so, so I met a guy when I was, I just came to this prison in Mariana, Florida. And uh, I, I met a guy. He looked jacked. He looked good. I looked at him. I said, so how do, we, how do I do that? And I was in good shape. Mm. He goes, just work hard. I said, all right. Two years later. I had it and I was like fuck yeah and I, I, his, he was 38 and I was younger I was like 34 or something I said by 38 I want to look like this guy and I, at 36 I was like I said I, I was there but so then I did a maintenance program for the next 10 years <laughs> 10 fucking years whatever mm. 8 and a half whatever the fuck it was that's um so you didn't have any so like a 22 um, minute workout 22 minute workout yeah whoa whoa we're a we're a we're a fitness kind of podcast uh, yeah but um, what was it? What, what did you go through? What was your workout? I did 16, uh, 16 sets of pull-ups, all different angles, and you know, wide, yep. wide grip, narrow grip, front, mm-hmm. front, pull, front, uh, front, back. Uh, I do sixteen sets of them, and then I do, uh, I do some squats for my spindle legs because I got bad knees. So I do uh, ten sets of squats, ten, fifteen, whatever I can do in a rep, and then mm-hmm. I would do dips. I would do dips. I would do two different types of dips. I would do front dips in the in the in the in the, in the what do you call uh, the. In the cage, whatever that thing, the wrap, the, the, the U, in the U, uh, I, 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 do, yeah. I do front dips. Just bar dips. Yeah, bar, the bar, bar dips. dips. And yeah. then I do, and I do uh, back arm. I would just hold on to a set of bars, like like the cage, and basically in, 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 the, in the prison. And I so would you just, do this in 22 minutes? Yeah. 22 minute workout. <laughs> no, I don't stop. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, no rest between sets. And yep, then, I, gotcha. then, I, then I would do leg lifts, and I would do leg drops for, mm-hmm. my, for my abs. And um, 22 minutes, it's done. Is that how you kind of go on? Every day? Yeah, five days a week. Yeah, I would take two days off just just to just to recoup a little bit. But you know, I, because I was now doing calisthenics, I didn't I didn't rip and tear my muscles like I had prior. I was I was I was single arm curling ninety pounds on on on, on that. What was the the preacher? Yeah, yeah, I, the I preacher was doing curl. Pa- you can see I almost had it still. Eh? <laughs> I, was, I was doing ninety pound. I was doing ninety pound preachers. Yeah. That's a lot well, of fucking. That's a lot of fucking weight. So um, when you got like nothing else to do, you just yeah, r- just read and train. Just, I wouldn't mind being in jail. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a country club. Yeah, yeah. they're two of my favorite things. <laughs> I just like the fresh air. Yeah. yeah, well, when you're surrounded by a fence, the air seems a little more stifling. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, so what? So what? Um, so you did twelve years in prison, and then and then now. Why don't you tell us, like, what do you do now? You, so you work so, with so, the, you're still so, working so, with the... So now I do a lot of, some consulting. Uh, I'm involved with the Sony project to do my, the movie uh, adaptation of the 7-5 documentary. Yep. Um, I do um, speaking engagements at universities. Um, I'm involved in a cigar product uh, with Diaz uh, yeah. from the Dominican Republic. <laughs> um, Diaz, for the listeners, uh, for the listeners is the Colombian connection with the cocaine that... Dominican. Uh, the- Dominican. But, it, but he was connected with Pablo Escobar? Yes, in, but, but he's Dominican. He, he's Dominican, but yeah. he was connected with, uh, with yes, the Colombian guys. Yes, yes. Mike's, uh, Mike's gifted us with uh, a 7.5 cigar to, yes. to take home, which we're pretty stoked <laughs> with. It'll be, it'll be, it'll be, it just smokes well. I hear it, smoke, <laughs> I hear it smokes well. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm doing that, and I got a little T-shirt thing going that represents the 7.5 movie, and uh, I'm building my brand. I'm, I'm developing a brand. I, I will be doing... Uh, I'll be out in Minnesota. I'll be speaking before uh, a whole correctional department uh, out there in, in, in the fall. So it's an ongoing process. I'm involved in a couple of projects to do um, adaptations, but like like for TV series mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So 
it's involved. I'm very active on at the Mike Out on Twitter and on Instagram. Yeah. You can follow me there. Um, we can we'll go we'll go through all that at the end. We can do, do all the plugs. Um, oh, I need to ask this before we're going to wrap up with a few questions. Three from me, three from Jack, and then uh, we'll get you. Okay. You can, you can do some fading. plugs and stuff. I'm fading, guys. <laughs> um, but uh, I do need to ask you this. So you're a very personal guy. Very very happy. Very seem very happy. Very engaging. You seem like a great guy. You love telling the stories about um, the what you went through in the past. In the documentary and on the Rogan podcast, for certain points, it doesn't seem like you have much remorse. Right. But I'm not saying that's the case. Right. How do you actually, if you look back on everything that's gone on in your life, how do you feel about it? So the remorse question comes up to me quite often. Mm. And um, so uh, my response to that, logically, in my brain is, you want me to tell a story, you want me to cry. Mm. So you want me to tell a story to let you know what it was like? I have to put you in the car with me and make you feel the intensity and the excitement at which we did what we did. We weren't shaking down drug dealers because we were so sad. We were shaking down drug dealers so we can walk home with you know two, three, five, fifty thousand dollars at a clip, whatever mm-hmm. we can get. Mm-hmm. So that's an exciting story to share. So the remorse part is what I did was wrong. I accept what I did was wrong. I served a 14-year prison sentence. I lost my family, my wife and my children, and I'm now putting my life back together. So do I need to cry and say, I'm so sorry every time I tell a story? I hope not because then you'll never hear the stories. Yeah. And you're a positive guy, I suppose. I try to put a positive spin on everything. I mean, I did my time in prison with a positive spin. I mean, you know, I just try try to keep it real. You know, for people to come in here or anybody to be interviewed about what they did and have nothing but remorse in their voice and in their tone, you know, that guy's full of shit. Yeah. There was an excitement to do, to do what we did. Yeah. So I, I let people feel it and then I get accused of not being remorseful. So I, I apologize if they don't like it, but no, I'm just it's, keeping it and it's And it's just, it's just the, you're very, I think it's partly because you're a very good storyteller and that's why the documentary's so good. That's why... Um, I forgive you for, for not having the number one Rogan podcast that I listen to, but I, I said to everyone, I'm really, really stoked. Well, I got the- why don't I? Why do you think I don't? <laughs> because you can't tell me about the 12,000 year ago um, global cataclysm that wiped out. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a reason. Yeah. 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 Randall Carlson is my favorite, uh, my favorite uh, Rogan yeah. podcast. And, and I can't talk MMA. Yeah, and yeah, he's yeah. MMA, okay? Yeah, yeah. So, but I would have it otherwise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're close. But it's, it's my, my second favorite Rogan podcast of, of all time. So I think it's because... I mean, the, the remorse thing looks a little bit because you're, you're such a good storyteller. That's why it's my second favorite Rogan podcast. That's why the documentary is so popular. Compelling. Yeah, compelling. It makes for a good story. So, um, but I, you know, I wanted to ask that question. Right. Got it. Not a problem. I'm um, used to it. Yeah. Um, Jack, do you want to hit your three questions for Mike? Yeah, for sure. Uh, firstly, I just wanted to give this one for the listeners because it's a bit <laughs> of an awkward question. But what type of music do you listen to? What gets you up and going? I listen to top top popular you know top 40 and I, yep. I, I enjoy country music as well yeah yeah so I'd like some of the throwbacks to the 90s when I was in prison because a lot of my feelings and emotions come out when I hear songs from from back in the days in the 90s when I was out in these cow dunk towns that that you know wouldn't be like New York City area and I was out in the country and yep. so I learned a lot of country music and uh, so yeah I like country and I enjoy top 40 so whatever's popular whatever's gone so like right now Superman 
you know, Superman's got nothing yeah. on me. <laughs> I can get crazy with that one. <laughs> All righty, sweet. I'm going to save the day. Go ahead. I know I sound horrible. <laughs> um, sweet. Second question. Um, as a youngster, what were your hobbies slash sports or I was a hockey player. I was a golfer. I played every other sport, baseball. I love, I, my passion really is baseball, but I just was never good enough at it. Yeah. But I was a very good hockey player. Played a little college. And not not much. I banged my knee up and went to the police department. Yes. So, same week. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I was athletic all my life. Yeah. Athlete's heart, as you said earlier. Say it again. Athlete's heart, as you said. I don't earlier. hear him through the mic. I hope that's. Oh no, it's cool. It's all coming up here. It just must be. It. Sometimes our mics don't carry through the whole okay. way, but we got all the all the levels of pump. Okay. Box, so. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. That's right. Last question. Um, if you didn't take the path that you took earlier on in your life, where right. do you see yourself? Well, if I hadn't done that, I would have been retired with a home in Florida and a nice pension and probably a second career, you know, and probably would have done probably bigger things in my second career had I had the, the, uh, the, the safety net of a, of, a, of, a, of a civil servant pension, which is pretty handsome if you can make it to the end, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thanks. Good question. <laughs> um, and my three questions. Are you a well-traveled man, Mike? You know, lately I have been. You know, when I was a young guy and I had all that money, I did a little like the Bahamas and yep. Bermuda and things of that nature, Vegas and, as, as well. Yep. But, cool. Yeah. All right. So, so lately I've been doing a lot of travel, though. Yep. Associated so, with this. I was in Scotland and oh, really? Edinburgh for the film festival. For, oh, cool. At least the 7.5 over there. Sick. Yeah. And then uh, Miami, California, Vegas, New York. I've been around quite a bit lately. So, so my question is what's your favorite? Travel destination can be a small town, can be a country, can be a region. Okay, so I enjoy Cancun. Yep. Okay. Uh, uh, Dominican Republic, I have fun there because Adam's there, the, yep. the guy from the film. Um, but the reality is, I, 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 love, my, I love the Miami area. Uh, I, I probably, I think I'm going to settle in that area right. somewhere. Cool. But if I could afford to, I'd love to spend my whole my summers at the east end of Long Island in the Hamptons. Okay. <laughs> if I could afford to. Beautiful. Yeah. So, um, next question is a similar similar theme. I What's do a your- lot of Maine. I do a lot of uh, Mount Desert uh, Island, uh, Bar Harbor. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've done a lot of that. Yeah. Like, like, I've probably been there six times in the last ten, eight years. Right. So, yeah. Nice. So, what's your what's your dream destination? So, same thing. Can be anywhere. Little, little town. Um, can be a country. Can be a continent. Whatever. Um... I'd love to go to Australia. Oh, you're always welcome. <laughs> South Melbourne, I live in. I live in South Melbourne. I got a I'd nice love to little experience it. Nice little single bed for I'd you. I love anytime. to experience it. <laughs> <laughs> not with you in it. <laughs> no, I'm not, not going back to I'm those. I'm not offering that. I'm, Mike, not I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I would love to experience a place like Australia that I haven't been. But really, I find uh, South Central America pretty intriguing because Amazing. of because of the the forestation and. The, the warmth. It's my favorite part of the world yeah, by it's just, mile. It's very interesting. The natural wonders the natural is wonders, what yeah. does it for me. There's and I don't glaciers. Know why, no, I don't have no idea where there's poverty in those nations. They should be the richest nations in the world. They have every mineral and, and yeah. food product. And I guess there's a lot of, you know, a lot of corrupt guys like me there. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't I know mean, what to say. You know, it's just, neither. it's, it's the most with beautiful, every natural thing you could ever want. It's the most beautiful part of the world you'll, you'll ever see. I was in the DR and you drove through the DR. I'm, 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 post, I'm saying this for a reason. You drive through the DR. Dominican Republic. Yes, the Dominican Republic. And it's so fucking beautiful. Like, you, you climb up this mountain. It's almost got snow on it. It's, so fu- it's 15 or 20 degrees cooler on the top of this mountain. Yep. I'm like, this is paradise. I mean, what's going on in this nation? But anyway, yeah. I don't want to straighten out their politics. I'm just amused by how picturesque it is. Yeah. 
It's amazing. You guys have never been there. No. Oh. If it's anything like the rest of Central and South America, I could imagine it's stunning. It's it's stunning. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, a a plug for them. But, you know, the reality is, you know, there's still no place like America in the world. Yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) I like it. Um, We do have – so one more. What's If you're on a desert island and you've got three things to keep you sane, what are they? This is a tough one. Normally stumps people. (laughs) (laughs) Could you you say that again? (laughs) It's all the same. It's all the same. It's all the same. That's all I care about. That and water. One, one, two, and three. And one, two, and water. Okay. Two, 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 two girls and a, and a bottle of water. One good girl and a lot of water. Okay. Yeah, sweet. That's how I live my life. I just live an asshole. But I'm a good asshole. I'm a happy asshole. I try to be. Oh, cool. Well, it's um really good to have uh, to told you uh, to have told your story, Mike. So. Before we before we check out, where can people find anything about the documentary? Where can they find you? We have listeners. Okay, so, we have listeners from from Australia, and we'll put the links everywhere in our yeah, show notes. But I, I, we're all I, over the world as well. So, okay, just, so I don't know all the links, but yep. I do know that right now in America, it's running on TMC, the movie channel, like today and tomorrow. So the uh, movie is the Seven Five. The movie is called The Seven Five, yep. spelt out. Because yep. a lot of people get lost and they put the Seven Five in, and it doesn't necessarily come up. S E V E N F I. Right, spell it out. Yeah. And um, around the world, in many places, it's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and if it's not local, you know, you call your cable provider and see if they can get it plugged mm-hmm. into your local uh, HBOs or Showtimes. Yep. I don't you know. Get on a lot of iTunes as well. When I was looking yeah, it up, yeah, yeah, you iTunes can, around you can the world. get it on iTunes. Um, mm-hmm. But the reality is, themikedout.com is my website where you can see uh, what I'm actually promoting at the time, whether it's a cigar or it's T-shirts or my involvement in upcoming films that I'm trying to put together, my speaking engagements. If you want to book me for a speaking engagement, themikedout.com. Mm-hmm. The cigars, we go to seven, cigars75.com. That's cigars75.com. Um and, you know, I'm just always trying to make a living now, you know, out of being Michael Dowd because it's hard to get a job. I, you know, I, yeah. lost, I lost my goddamn job through this documentary. Yeah. So, you know, no one needs to feel bad for me, but it is what it is, you know. Yeah. So. Cool. So, themikedowd.com or themikedowd on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me. I do Facebook, but I'm not that good at it yep. because I end up sending wrong messages to people and I get in trouble. <laughs> so, okay. But Michael Dowd uh, from Long Island, Suffolk County Community College is one of the things they search me under or Brentwood. It was the town I'm from. Okay. And uh, yeah, so but I have plenty. a lot of that. Yeah, yeah that's plenty. Yeah. www.themikedowd.com. Right. Yeah, cool. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Mike. It's been and, great. Uh, That's a wrap. Uh, I'm happy you guys had me. Nice to meet you all. Cool. Beautiful. All righty, guys. That was our interview with Mike. Pretty wild one. Um, Hope you got some entertainment out of it. It was pretty pretty thought-provoking, pretty amazing to hear a story of a guy that's been through so much like Mike. Uh, Yeah. If you did like the show, make sure you go to iTunes and subscribe. Please hit the subscribe button. That'll get us uh, more downloads, which will get us more sponsors, which will uh, get us closer to... um, getting bigger and better and uh well not better but um bigger name guests and and uh we can provide video content and more cool stuff for you guys so hit subscribe for us also anything that was of note in that show will be found in the show notes at www.eventfittravel.com forward slash podcast in there you'll find any links to anything that was mentioned and uh, and anything to help you kind of piece together what was spoken about in the show also if you can join the mailing list while you're on our site 
And don't forget to check out Audible, audibletrial.com forward slash ADVF radio and Adventure Travel. Check out our Everest trip and everything else we got going on at www.adventurefittravel.com. And that's it.